You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Hello, welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm William Gallagher, filling in for Victor Marks, who's away this week. And because he's away, I'm joined by a much-missed voice on the podcast. Mike Worthily is back. Mike, welcome back. Hello, everybody. It's good to be back. And you've done nothing since you were last on. It's been feet up, listening to the podcast, completely relaxed, fine. Oh, yeah, I've been on the beach the whole time. That's really good. You're looking well. Me, I'm, I'm not, but that's okay. Let's get moving. We've got <laughs> a lot right. to talk about. Well, listen, uh, you might have expected, and I might even have bet, Victor, that this would be a quiet week as we wait for the September 10th event. But no, of course it hasn't. However, September 10th is what's on everyone's mind. So, Mike, call it. Will there be anything but iPhones next week? I am, well, there, are, there will obviously be iPhones, but I think on the outside, there will be the new materials for Apple Watches, which we've spoken about in the past. There'll be the titanium and ceramic Apple Watches that have been discussed before. I think there's a possibility of an Apple TV. I don't think it's guaranteed for this event. I suspect that it, whenever it does, Apple decides to roll out Apple TV+, Plus then it'll be released in a press release. I, I don't think that Tim Cook is going to take any time on stage holding up a new Apple TV that's going to look exactly the same as the old Apple TV. You don't think then the Mac Pro is going to appear as well? Uh, I don't think so. The reason why I don't think it's going to pop up at this particular event is because why dominate the news cycle for one day when you can do it with two? That makes sense. And that is Apple's preferred approach. They're, they are very good at this. Uh, all right, then. It's uh, Let's say it's only the phones. Do you care? It's just a few cameras on the back. What's the difference? There's a lot of focus put on by not just Apple Insider readers, but by a larger community about year-over-year improvements to any given smartphone. And if you look at iPhone whatever, and you look at iPhone whatever minus one, there's you're right. There's not a, a huge amount of changes. There's a new processor. Maybe there's a, an improvement to the camera. But it's not what you'd say a revolutionary jump. What you really need to look at, and especially going forward as the smartphone market matures more and more and more, is iPhone minus two. Look at the differences between, say, the iPhone 8 and whatever we're going to get this year. Look at the differences between the iPhone 8 and the iPhone 6S, for instance. Those are the, those are the differences, and those are the spots that you need to focus on what are the differences between those two models. Because... The people that are upgrading their iPhones every year are the vast minority. They Apple thinks and analysts think that it's right around 15 or 16% will turn over every year using things like the Apple, upgrade, the Apple iPhone upgrade program and things of that nature. But cell phone replacement cycles are extending out to almost three years at this point. 32, 33 months is, is what's being predicted right now. And there's a lot of reasons for that, obviously. There's costs of iPhones. There's what I'm talking about, about iteration and technology in phones. So, I mean, there, there's a lot going on here, but the the ultimate point here is there will always be people dropping their iPhones. There will always be people who do want the newest and best thing. And there, there's always going to be a churn of these iPhones. So is it going to be an exciting year? Well, it depends. When did you consider the last exciting year was? That, that I guess that's really what makes the difference. And again, like like watching children age, watching week to week, there's not much change. But watching month to month and year to year, there is a change. And and that's kind of how this needs to be looked at. Yeah. I always think of you as the hardware 
guy. There used to be this phrase uh, in hardware of a TikTok cycle. I think it's particularly for mm. Intel stuff. Are you mm. saying now that it's more a top tick tick? Uh, uh, I'm not even sure. The iPhone is so many different components in it. You've got the the camera system. You've got the connectivity system, meaning LTE or 5G. You, you've got the screen. Uh, there, there's a lot of individual technologies in there that are on their own TikTok cycles. So I'm not I'm, I'm not sure it's as easy to compare as it is for an Intel processor process improvement cycle, where it used to be a TikTok TikTok regularly. I, I, it's hard to have a complete device follow that cadence because there's so many things that make it up that are variable year to year. I. This time last year, though, uh, I'm trying to remember, it seemed to me that there were a lot more last minute or last week leaks of new hardware and new features and things. And we haven't got, uh, well, so far anyway, as we record this, there haven't been any big surprises for it. Is that Apple's incredibly good at secrecy suddenly again? Or there's just really there is nothing to say? I, well, I think there's less to say right now last minute because we've been hearing about this iPhone since literally November of last year. Ming-Chi Kuo started talking about whatever this iPhone was going to be called, the iPhone 11 or whatever, on, I want to say it was around the 15th of November last year. Because I remember throwing papers off my desk and saying, oh my God, this has started already. <laughs> He's so, such a spoil sport, isn't he? That guy. When you make when you make a hundred million of something a year, you've got to start that process early. You've got to get your ducks in a row in November. So it stands to reason that as the supply chains extend and as manufacturing lead times extend because of these volumes, that there's, there are going to be these leaks earlier and earlier and earlier. And it, it, it's been an interesting evolution of the rumor cycle over the last 10 years in the iPhone. You used to call crazy season for the iPhone starting in, the end of July, you could count on a lot of rumors in August and early September. And with every year that's extended by one month until we have this diffuse set of rumors extending back almost to the day of the previous release. Yeah. I hate to disagree with you there, but I think it's worse than you think, because I was going to say every year, as soon as one event's over, people look into the next one, but we have already had repeated rumours about the next set of iPhones. Or well, not the 2021, although there's plenty of rumours oh, no, about we that. We've heard about the 2020 ones already, right? Because we're already talking about 5G. There was a report literally today on Bloomberg talking about an earlier report from earlier in August talking about Touch ID on the 2020 or 2021 iPhones. So we, we're, we are actually have exceeded that one-year period where rumours about future iPhones are coming out now instead of just a month or two before. So it's just, it's just the rumor it's just madness. keeps but on grinding. Specific madness. What about the iPhone SE 2 coming in the spring? I am, here's the thing with this iPhone SE 2, is people are getting all excited saying, okay, well, it's going to be a four-inch iPhone. It doesn't look like it's going to be. And Nikkei said that, well, Apple's working on a 4.5 or 4.7-inch iPhone SE. Well, that doesn't make it an iPhone SE, does it? That makes it an iPhone 8. So th there's a lot going around here. The rumor mill was more prevalent last year, last summer, about a new 4-inch iPhone, where I am inclined to believe that Apple got further along in the thinking process about it, but 
never sent it to manufacturing, never sent for samples or anything like that. I think the days of a four inch iPhone are over. I, I think that Apple wants you, if you want a device that small, they want you to get an iPod touch instead. But I'm not convinced I see any reason that Apple is going to make this four inch iPhone. And don't get me wrong. If you want a four inch iPhone, you want it very, very badly. Yeah. You want it just very badly. And and that's fine. I appreciate that. I appreciate that needs are different for different, for different people, but I don't think Apple as a company is interested in pursuing that. If you remember back to the iPhone SE, when we were getting numbers for sales and things like that, it never exceeded 10% of the sales volume in any quarter. No, I didn't remember that. I, I did just watch the launch of it, and I've forgotten the Apple guy who was presenting it, but he was talking about how one of the reasons, there were three reasons, and one was just yeah, the passion, really. It, it didn't sound like three reasons, it sounded like one and a bit. Passion for that, which you're saying then didn't materialize in terms of sales. That's disappointing. Well, it depends what you call a success, right? Uh, people are saying the HomePod is a failure, but the HomePod is a billion-dollar business. I think after this amount of time, a reasonable definition of success is they come back with another one. Uh, and 10% of the iPhone sales in any given quarter is still, if you, if you run the math on that, that's still five-ish million iPhones a quarter at, at the time was 500 bucks a shot. So th that right there is still a $2.5 billion business. Which would explain why this time last year, Apple was much further along thinking about it. What do you think? I mean, this has got to be wild speculation now. What could possibly have made them think, nah, we've got everything else covered. Let's skip this one. I, I, I wish I had a solid answer for that. The Some of it, I think, is Apple likes to keep its average selling price high. I, I think that that is less of an issue now because they don't report unit volumes. They, so you can't calculate this ASP anymore. But I think for the most part, other than the four-inch iPhone faithful, I think that the market has moved on. And one of the reasons why I think the market has moved on, because if you put an iPhone SE over an iPhone 10 or iPhone 10s, not the 10R, but the 10s, the, the iPhone 10 and the 10s are, it's about, it's, it's about three-eighths of an inch in one direction and a quarter of an inch in the other direction. So I think Apple says, well, okay, the iPhone SE isn't that much smaller than this phone. So we're going to stick with this phone that's making us at least that that's selling for 800 bucks instead of 500 bucks. So would you advise anybody to, if they were really mad keen to get an SE now, presumably secondhand or something? Well, the iPhone SE has the A9 processor. The, the iPhone SE is internally the same as the fifth generation iPad that came out, uh, what, two and a half years ago now? So it's got the same amount of RAM. It's got the same A9 processor. So it's got, in essence, the same stats as that iPad. So from just a sheer system support standpoint, I, I, can, I would think that the iPhone SE is probably going to go to iOS 15 at this point, because I can't imagine them abandoning support for that iPad early, yep, earlier than five years. Cool. So... With iPhone SEs routinely hitting 50 bucks or 100 bucks at Walmart or pay-as-you-go carriers, yeah, why not? It, it's I, I do love the phone. I had one for a long time. It was my main driver before my iPhone 10. I, I, I personally like the SE. I like the SE, but I also understand where Apple itself may not. So 
yeah, it's if you need a phone for a year or two, I, I think the SE buying an iPhone SE now is fine. If that's the size you like, then then that's fine. There, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the device. It's it's going to get long in the tooth. We I don't think that we can count on Apple to do the same thing with, say, iOS 14 that they did with iOS 12 with increasing responsiveness and increasing speed in older devices because of software shifts but it's a solid device for now and it's a solid device for at least another year and a half i would think you see this is exactly why i miss you on the podcast when i have a question about hardware i just ask mike but software is different as much as i love software and relish finding new apps there are too many and everyone's needs are too specific. That's especially true in business, where there is no one-size-fits-all for software. But there is Captera. Captera is a free online resource to help you find the right software for your business. With over 950,000 reviews of products from real software users, discover everything you need to make an informed decision. These are reviewers who are actively using these apps and relying on them in their businesses. So you can learn from them what you need to know in order to find the software you need to get. Visit captera.com slash Apple Insider for free today to find the tools to make an informed software decision for your business. captera.com slash Apple Insider. That's captera, C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A, dot com slash apple insider but back to hardware um i was really surprised by this apparently samsung has finally brought out the galaxy fold now i know that's five months later than they originally promised but it wasn't working it was cracking i just thought it'd be ages away is it sooner than you expected this is an interesting one because it's coming out in korea imminently it'll be out in odds are by the time you listen to this podcast you'll be able to buy one in korea but. The the U.S. release is in the coming weeks. Well, what does that mean? D- does that mean on the fifteenth of September? Does that mean on the fourth of October? What exactly does that mean? So I'm going to argue that this is that st- this still isn't a release. I- I'm going to argue that this two thousand dollars smartphone is still not quite ready for prime time because they don't have enough of them ready for a larger market other than South Korea. They'll sell. 100,000 of them in South Korea, and that's it. If they, if they don't have their production lines geared up to support a major market like the United States, then I, I, I can't say, I, I, I can't argue that this is ready to go. This is a first-generation technology. Samsung didn't engineer it well. Huawei is having problems shipping their own. I, I don't think that we're, I, I think that this is going to be quiet for Samsung. I think that they're going to say, okay, this is in South Korea. And okay, no, it's in the, in the United States. But you really want to buy a Note 10. I, I think that's how Samsung marketing is going to go. I, I think that they're going to minimize the fold here and, and push their non-folding phones. I think that like the Galaxy Wear was, I think that Samsung said, oh, crap. Apple or somebody else is working on a folding smartphone. We better get ours out to market first. I'm concerned that they were blind enough with the fold release to think that it was perfect the way it was. When you had tech reviewers who were very good at their jobs, like Marcus Brownlee, Hmm. who said, oh, okay, this is a screen protector. I'm going to peel this off. Oh, no, it's not. It's part of the screen. 
that's that's a bad call. And and the thing is, is they routinely make these bad calls. And I'm I'm I want the fold to succeed. I want the fold to succeed because when Apple has strong competition, then that makes Apple better. Sure, absolutely. But are you saying then you think that even now they may well not have fixed these problems? It, it there are the fact that they didn't see these huge gaps in allowing foreign debris access to the hinges before they said this was ready, that doesn't really speak well to me of their engineering department. How did somebody in engineering not say, hey, this is a bad idea, this huge exposed hinge? How did somebody not spot that? How many more of those things did we not see? With the Note 7, yeah, and we keep going back to this because this was a bad situation. With the Note 7, there are battery fires. And Samsung said, okay, we've got the problem fixed. They did not have the problem fixed. I, I, I am expecting... I am expecting another problem of that magnitude here. I'm expecting there to be screen failures right away, and I'm not expecting them to be at the tech reviewers because I'm sure this time now that they have absolutely cherry-picked prime units for tech for tech reviewers. I'm absolutely positive about that. This is one of the reasons why we buy most of our review hardware. Yeah, which I've always liked about Apple Insider. It's not gamed like that. It's real. But are you saying then that it... Uh... Samsung just needed one engineer to eat a sandwich at their desk and they would have found this problem. Or that it, maybe it's, it's the laws of physics. You can't have a, a folding phone at all. I think a folding phone is possible. I think that there are profound engineering and materials challenges behind this. And, and I'm going to say this with full knowledge that I have a minor in materials. My degree is in physical chemistry with a minor in materials. So well, we'll let you. Yeah, okay. So I'm, I'm not going to say that Ma and Pa America are expected to know that this material is going to be prone to this failure for this reason. But this is a giant exposed hinge. What were they thinking? What were they thinking? Yes. Okay, actually, what is anybody thinking about folding phones? Is this something, it's like hardware looking for a reason to exist, or is there a genuine use to foldables? I think there is, but I think it's in larger devices. I, I think that a folding, say, 9.7-inch iPad-style device would be beneficial. I think that Huawei's approach of the screen on the outside is a really dumb idea. I, I think that the idea is probably realistically two or three years out from being implemented well. And this, this is absolutely going to require a good implementation. This is absolutely going to require a perfect implementation because as soon as you start introducing folding parts to a pocketable device that people that consumers already consider a part of their lives, right? This is not something let, let well let's think about this for a minute. When 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 we were children and we had our first computers, our yeah. parents were, you touch this nicely, you dust this, you put this cover on, you do all of these things and you protect this device. Mine were more, it cost how much? But yes. Well, right, right. And, and that's why. But now we're looking at pocketable devices, which for an iPhone is a thousand bucks and this fold is $2,000 that people are jamming in their pockets without a care in the world. Yeah. And they should be able to do that. These are portable devices that are designed to go with you everywhere you go. You should be able to jam it in your pocket and go. And a folding plastic screen 
does that scream to you that it's ready to jam in your pocket and go? Well, until really recently, I used to shudder at the whole idea of a phone in your back pocket. But then I got a 10s Max, and it's slightly too big to stay in my shirt pocket without the risk of it falling out. So every now and again, I have gone through this back route and spend most of my day thinking I'm going to have it stolen from me. Well, um, that's one. Of, that's one of the reasons why I use the iPhone 10, and it's one of the reasons why I had the SE before it because it does fit in my front pocket. I do have a 10s Max. I have it for work purposes. But I still feel like it's holding a telephone, uh, te- holding a television next to my head. <laughs> Apple so, should produce shirts and blouses and bags. Uh, well, I mean, bags, right? I mean, I think we're probably covered on bags. I, yes. I, I think that just about any bag will do. But yeah, so it's different strokes for different folks here. And I'm sure that some people are salivating the concept of a folding phone. It, it It's not really in my cards and i don't think that it's going to be for me even when apple releases one and apple's been working on it for so long just based on its patent filings there's no way that it they're not going to have one someday that's just what i was going to ask you i remember hearing stories though but it got to it's at least at the patent level so they're thoroughly into it do we even know if they go the highway route of uh, looking at folding on the outside or the inside uh, I hope it's not on the outside. I, I think Apple, I suspect, I can't even say I think, but I, I suspect that Apple is waiting for, for Corning's folding glass. Oh, yeah. And there are going to be bend radiuses required on that. It, it, so Apple may go with an exterior screen on that just because that bend radius, I, I'm not sure it's going to handle an inside fold that well because that's a pretty tight bend radius on the inside. But on the outside, on the other hand, it's it's not nearly as steep. Which is the Microsoft Surface thing that had a hinge. It was like a laptop, but you couldn't actually quite close it. Was that it... yeah, the Surface Book had Surface a wacky Book. hinge like that, and it yeah, it's kind of a wedge. Yeah. In, in that regard, and that's okay on a larger on something that you're not going to sit on. I'm okay with that hinge. No, but looks something ugly. that you've got in your pocket that's going to get those torquing stresses. The larger something is that you put in your pocket, the more the more force you're going to put on something when you move around and when you sit and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not that excited about a hinge with a gap in your pocket. No. Okay. Um, I keep saying, I think if you use the hardware, but this is a mixture of hardware and software, but while I've got you, you might be able to, there's some news about this and also alleviate some frustration here. Previously, um, I wrote for Apple Insider about some Ikea uh, smart plugs mm-hmm. and yeah, there were pluses and minuses, but on the balance for how cheap they were and what they did, they were great. But I'm having a really frustrating time now with them kind of falling off my network and trying to get them back on. And things. it's actually put me off HomeKit completely. But now uh, Philips, not Philips anymore, sorry, Signify has brought out some new Hue products. I have a lot of Hue bulbs, and they're now adding to that with things like a new smart plug. Um are you fully smart homed up? Do you have opinions about these things? I I do have opinions about this. I have I have HomeKit here in my office. I, I I call it my bunker, and some listeners are already familiar with this concept. I have a, a couple of LED strips. I've got a couple of bulbs for wide illumination, and I use them here. I've got some in the kids' playroom next to this room. But those are mostly for when they're off to school. I've got a HomeKit automation that turns those lights off. I've got another room upstairs where my disabled wife will use Siri to turn lights on and off instead of hunting for chains. 
on on the lamps. However, the rest of the house, no. And the reason why is is multifold. I, I also have senior citizens in this house who aren't adapting well to voice controls, which is fine. Uh, and I don't have, I do not have the neutral wire in the walls. So the the I don't I can't get switches unless I want to spend a great deal of money and put on a hub. And I absolutely do not want a HomeKit hub from a third party at all on my network. Everything I've selected is native HomeKit, does not require a hub. You, I mean, I have a light switch to the living room that isn't plugged into the walls. It's just a, a Philips, um, I forgot what it's called, it's a touch control bit. I've actually, uh, probably shouldn't say this, blue tacked it next to the light switch. Um, it works. You know, well, I mean, it works, but that's a training issue, right? I mean, do, do I really want my 77-year-old mother-in-law to have to hit that instead of the switch she's been hitting <laughs> since 1984? Okay. So how about the fact that uh, signifies part of the hue range apparently will now include a smart button? That's not going to be enough to persuade I, you ever. Yeah, that's not going to be enough here in a training situation. You know what? My kids are all on board with this. My, my kids are fine with the home kit stuff. My wife is fine with the home kit stuff. But if if... I could do wall switches. I would, but I can't. Well, I, I can. Leviton has some that will work on without neutral wires, but they are expensive. Mm. Those are sixty bucks and require a hub. So that's kind of that's really not in my budget because, like I keep saying, if you're into if you're into tech writing for the free stuff, you're in the wrong business yes. because you, know, you don't get the stuff for free. When you review a HomeKit switch, you got to take it out of your wall afterward and send it back to the manufacturer. That's just how it goes. I love HomeKit stuff, or I did until these problems. But it's last this year, HomeKit has seemed to be mine, uh, not my wife's. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, she can't control the automation. We had a confusion of bulbs at one point where I could switch the right one off and she couldn't. And eventually, as much as I, I love the fact that we've got it in our kitchen, so I can walk in, the lights come on, and the stairs, and mm -hmm. yeah, bathroom. So many things I really like about it. But I, knowing what I know now, right this minute, I might not go for HomeKit again the well, way I did. But. That that's the key with with HomeKit is making sure everyone is on board and making sure you have a plan. I mean, it's kind of the same with networking, right? If you don't have the right stuff and everyone's not on board with what you're trying to do, you're not going to be as secure as you possibly could be. And with HomeKit, if not everyone's on board, then you're going to have somebody flip a switch, and you're going to wonder why your HomeKit bulb didn't turn on because somebody flipped the switch. <laughs> yes. And, and now that bulb has no power. So no matter how many times you tap that button, it's never coming on. So well, how about this, though? Of all the people you think would know about HomeKit, Apple would be up there, isn't it? But it, I was, I've been talking to developers about Catalyst mm -hmm. and things. And one of them who does a HomeKit product was saying, well, it's no use to him because HomeKit isn't on the Mac. And I'm thinking, but I've just used it. I've got the Home app. But he's right. Uh, not all of the underlying functionality is fed on Mac. That's why the Home app is so limited uh, on the Mac and presumably isn't getting better anytime soon. You know, I mean, a, a lot of that functionality doesn't have to exist, right? Are you going to lug your MacBook Pro to go scan a barcode on a socket you've already plugged into the wall? Am I going to use it to add a new device? Yeah. No, no you're not going to. No, come on. You're not going to use your MacBook Pro to add a new device. There's no so, way. I'm in my office. I put a new bulb in. The Mac's right there. But so's I... your phone. Okay. Right, you're gonna grab the phone and uh, yeah, okay. You're gonna unplug your MacBook Pro from all the power in your monitors, and you're gonna yeah. go wave it up there at the light bulb. There's no <laughs> chance that's going to happen. No chance. 
Okay, so you think the funny thing is Apple made it sound as if uh, it was actually HomeKit and HealthKit. So maybe they meant more about HealthKit that these things weren't in place yet. The impression from the developer videos was that it wasn't, you know, uh, ruled out forever kind of thing. Um, you think this one is? Um, I, I don't think that all of the functions of HomeKit are ever going to come to the Mac. I think that what we've got is essentially all it's going to be on the Mac. It, it, and, and that's okay. A, a better platform, if you're really interested in some kind of control platform for your home kit, then use that old iPad Mini 2 that you've got laying around that's in your drawer because you haven't updated it in three years. Use that instead. You know, Velcro the damn thing to the wall. Use one of the, use one of the Mac Mini stands and put it in your kitchen. Put it in a plastic bag and put it on a stand in your kitchen. There you go. Home system and home kit hub. Boom. Done in one. You're talking about my Sudoku machine. Uh, well, okay. It could be your Sudoku machine and your HomeKit control panel. Oh, this is just madness. Okay. Yeah, multitasking, right? Exactly. So it's, and speaking of developers, and here's yeah. that was a fascinating piece that you got done, by the way, on that. And I think that a Mac app needs to look and feel like a Mac app. I don't like Slack. And one of the reasons I don't like Slack is it's an Electron app, and it's hard on system resources. Mm. It doesn't really run like a Mac app. It doesn't really feel like a Mac app. It just it feels like a Java app slapped on top of a Mac front end. In theory, I would agree, because um, I've seen things. I mean, I was just talking to somebody about Final Draft, which is a joint Mac and Windows thing. And one of the annoyances, it costs a fortune, and you spend thousands of hours in front of it and it looks dreadful to me as a mac user because it's like windows from five years ago and stuff i i'm very aware of the aesthetics and also the feel and the design of things but i haven't especially noticed uh, a dislike for the uh, the home app um i never use stocks but this home isn't there and voice members i've never used voice members on the mac either maybe it's just home home is anemic doesn't do everything i want but i haven't had a big problem with it and i hadn't even realized that slack was a port until you said it it doesn't yep. doesn't leap out of me as my favorite app but it's got you know it works and it doesn't it, yeah it's, it's based on the electron framework and there are other applications like discord which is another common yes coordination and, and peering app that's mostly used by 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 gamers which you probably haven't used discord at all I have um, phone calls it, with gamers. Yes, Discord is harsh on system resources, and it's it's got it's got routines that are constantly non-responding. It, it it's it, it's just it's just not a good scene. And I these need to be native apps. There need to be more native apps. I'm not a huge fan of the news app because it it it's not it's not a Mac app. Let's take advantage point. of the platform instead of in, instead of half doing it and moving over these iPad apps to the Mac without much effort. I, I really would like to see... I understand the Mac users are a minority. 4 million Macs compared to 10 million iPads per quarter. You know, that that's a huge, huge difference in users. I, I, I should explain, it. actually, what the... We just mentioned an article that I wrote. Uh, in fact, it was you. You sent me off to talk to developers about Catalyst, Apple's technology for converting iOS to Macs with a click of a button. How did they find it? I, I was surprised at some of the results for it. Is that why you sent me off? Because you thought I'd find out that it was uh, quite a mixed bag? I sent you off to go do this because I was seeing the rumblings on social media from developers. Some were good with it. Some were not. And opinions, there didn't really seem to be anything in the middle. Yeah. 
it was either this is great and this is going to do a lot for me or this is garbage and should be lit on fire and there's a lot of discussion about how it's not ready for prime time and it may not be as far as what the developers are talking about but i think it is exactly where apple wants it to be well i was and, and that's the dichotomy we've been talking about all day right we've been, yeah. we've been talking about we've been talking about what apple wants we've been talking about what apple wants to execute and how they want to execute it and why they want to execute it and it's very easy to see looking later at the signposts along the road to a development Oh, sure, yes. It was very easy to see Apple educate users on small handheld devices and, oh, hey, here's the iPhone. Yes. It, okay. It, so these migrations were easy to spot later, afterwards. And I feel like, and I've been maintaining this for a while, that the whole catalyst concept, I, I think we're moving not toward a combined future, you know, they, they've they said that is our iOS and macOS going to combine? And, you know, a huge, I mean, I don't even know how many points it was on the screen at WWDC. It was, you know, it was 15 feet high. A big no is what, is what they yes. said. Yes, yes. But what I think is going to converge is I, I think an ARM Mac is inevitable. I, I think a, I, I think that a, a branch of the processor that Apple uses in the iPad, it won't be an A whatever. It will be something else. I think that is inevitable. And I think that Catalyst and things like it are the bridge to that future. Okay. Uh, I mean, that's my, that's a prediction, right? I mean, that's, that's the Burma shave signs that I'm seeing streaming by the road. Am I putting the words right? Did I miss a couple signs? I don't know. Right. But there, there, there are enough signs that point that at the low end to start, that arm is inevitable for the Mac. Well, my has just gone off in three different directions, one of which is I'm in the UK. I, the only reason I've even heard of Burma Shave is they had those signs in Quantum Leap once. So, well, I, well, okay, well, there you go. I, I mean, and they predate me by years. So it's just it's just the collective consciousness, I suppose. Another so, way when I've, I was very conscious that there was no possible way for me to reach developers who aren't developers yet. But there are people I think might be a tr more attracted to developing for Apple because they've got iOS and the Mac that's one target now. Um, and, and I think you're right. It, it, it's This is a topic I also keep coming back to that where Apple is going is not necessarily where it's been. And for people like me that have been where it's been and like where it's been, that doesn't always make for a comfortable future. Sure. Okay, one last thought. There's something that surprised me. I've it shouldn't have surprised me, but it did. Uh, in my head, Catalyst was how to get iOS apps from iOS onto the Mac. Uh, yeah. But actually, it isn't. It's very specifically iPad uh, for it. I talked to this one developer off the record. Uh, it was uh, somebody who has an extremely successful uh, iPhone app, has had for 10 years or so. And uh, even with before Catalyst, there is an obvious uh, niche for an iPad or a Mac version of it. And they agree. They're really up for it. But uh, they can't look at the Mac so they looked at the iPad and they haven't got time to look at the iPad because they're adding all this iOS 13 stuff to iPad. They're constantly having more to add to their app because that's their that's their core business. Um, so it seems to me, like, is Apple even trying to reach people like that? Is it actually blocking people by uh, specifying iPad only? Why would they specify iPad only? The only thing I can think of is the larger screen paradigm. 
so even with this, I'm, you know, you can't see it, obviously, but I'm holding my 10s Max up to my 15-inch MacBook Pro screen, and the 10s Max is, I want to say, eight of them will make up my MacBook Pro screen. Wow. So, okay. and the interface that you have to use on a smaller device, even, you know, like the 10s Max, is grossly different than you'd use on this 15-inch MacBook Pro, right? This, a button that's a reasonable size to tap on my, on my 10s Max is going to be like a 2-inch by 4-inch button on my MacBook Pro. So and that that's not a great interface, right? I mean, we we've dealt with years of that. We in the early days of the Mac, we had non-standard buttons and people doing whatever the hell they wanted with the UI, and those apps didn't age well. Those apps are those apps are all gone at this mm-hmm. point because they they didn't work well. And the more you adhered to Apple's guidelines, I mean, I'm diverging a little bit. The more you adhered to Apple's guidelines, the longer your software would run. Like even before it was recompiled for 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 Mac OS X. Dwayne Blem's stunt copter worked for almost 20 years without a recompile, without a bug patch, because the developer followed Apple's guidelines to the letter. No deviation, no squirming, nothing. Just absolutely to the letter. So, and and I, I think that this is a similar situation. I, I think that Apple's not interested in having two by four inch Mac buttons because that is totally in contravention of all their user interface guidelines that they put forth. Somewhere in this office, I'd like to show this up. You just showed your iPhone, we couldn't see it. I'd like to be waving this, but I can't quite see it. I have a 1990s printed copy of the Apple Human Interface Guidelines. And you look through that and you think sometimes Apple doesn't follow the Apple guidelines anymore. Oh, the, the the user interface guidelines have changed a lot since that version. I I, I didn't have the 1990, I had the 1989 version of that book but uh, yeah the user interface with 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 mac os 10 at the time now it's just mac os or you know or whatever mm-hmm. they want to whatever they want to call it they they changed a lot of those things like come on an aqua blue button in in mac os 9 come on yes. never ever would you see that well so, even though steve job called it lickable it should be everywhere yeah, that no. was a little weird. Yes, that was a little strange. Yeah, I don't want. I don't want to lick my screen, man. Sorry. Anyway, okay. So things are changing, but if you stick to the guidelines, it'll work. That's interesting. I mean, one of the developers talking about there's a particular workaround that he's looking at, uh, which does what he needs, but he doesn't know whether or not it will survive uh, because of mm-hmm. Apple changing things and this yeah. not being uh, documentation. Apparently, is a really big problem. Catalyst. Oh, the same I, I guy. Agree. Same guy said, if it goes wrong, you actually don't know if it's a bug or it's meant to be like that. So that does seem like really. Early. But to be fair, Apple, even last year when they first announced it, they said this is a multi year project. So, yeah, I mean, that is a problem. Lack of documentation is a problem. It's not a new problem for Apple developers by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not saying that they should tolerate it, but this is kind of expected at this point. Semi-related to this, this isn't on your schedule. I wanted to talk a minute about some feedback that we've gotten on social media about something. So we published a piece earlier this week about updating your Steam library. Not your library, updating your Steam client to 64-bit in case it was stuck at 32-bit. And there have been some satellite conversations that have spawned. We're talking about the biggest extinction of Mac games, and that's probably a true statement. Goodness, I never thought of that. So game developers haven't all gone to 64-bit en masse. Yeah, and there's a reason for that. I mean, games have always, 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 and they do this on Windows too, 
is they play fast and loose with best practice sometimes to squeeze out that little oh, right. bit of extra performance. I remember that back in the days of the BBC Micro. The first version of Elite yeah. did some hinky things. Yes. But now it's coming back to bite them. Okay. Well, now it's a problem, right? Because a lot of that stuff will never be able to be ported to 64-bit. And I'm of a mixed mind about it. I'm not super excited about it because there is going to be a lot of software left behind, not in any of my, not in any of my particular workflow. But, yeah, I'm going to lose a lot of games to it. A lot of my Steam games, in fact. I mean, I've got a – my Steam library goes back – Oh my god, 15 years? Has it been that long? It goes back a long way. It, it, it's at least 12 years, for sure. But you're and forgetting Apple Arcade launches any minute now. I'll sort it out. Go into that in a minute, too. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to lose a lot of those older games because they will never, ever see 64-bit. But the problem, the problem I'm, the core problem I'm having with this is 64-bit has literally been available for over a decade. Yeah. over a decade and the writing in the, on the wall for this shift from 32 to 64 bit was two years ago when Apple said that they were dropping it from iOS so it's not like Apple's just now springing this on developers like today a week or two before the Catalina launch this has been in the works for years you've been able to have 64 bit apps for years so when, when did Windows go 64 bit though well, they haven't still. Windows, Windows 64 itself has been available for 10 years, but they have no limitation on 64 or 32-bit. I didn't know that. Okay, that's so, interesting. Hmm. There are tangible benefits for not having 32-bit libraries in macOS at all. and It's really not... It's really beyond the topic, beyond the scope of this conversation. This is overall a positive move, and yes, it is going to exterminate a great deal of older software. But but again, I mean, my stance on this is it, it's not like there haven't been warnings that this was coming. So if you're looking at Catalina, I'm, I'm telling you now, right now, today, when you hear this podcast, find we have, I'm going to have William put this in the show notes, but you can find out easily which of your apps are 32-bit and which are 64-bit. Do it today. Do it absolutely today and find out what you've got that you can't live without. And if there's anything on there that you can't live without, then wait find out what's going on with that app find out if there's a newer version of that app find out if the developer's even going to update it to 64-bit and do not pull the trigger in catalina until you get your workflow figured out just except, don't accept uh i read that piece about how to do it it's very easy and you can check very quickly i would imagine that uh it will report whether or not your steam app your launcher is 64-bit or not and if it isn't we've got steps for you but surely the games themselves are actually hosted on steam and you can't they depend it. it depends right, right. The, the the games themselves uh, valve does not require 64-bit applications so if you've got a 32-bit app that you like very much that you can't update because the developer hasn't produce a 64-bit version you're out of luck you're no, absolutely I, out of luck. i get that i just i'm not certain of how i will actually find out any app actually on my mac yes doddle to find out well but but yeah but here, here's the thing with steam is steam the steam client is just a front end yes. those games aren't installed into steam they're actually executables of those games in one of those folders that you had users set aside and not delete Oh, okay. Well, in that case, then that makes sense why Apple's technique for checking what you've got doesn't just look in your applications folder. Right. It looks for any executable everywhere. I wonder why they did that, and now that makes sense. 
All right. Okay. Uh, but break it to me gently. Do you think Sudoku is going to be okay? Well, I think there will be some Sudoku that is probably okay, okay. but I don't know if all of them are. But here are some things that are not presently 64-bit. The Android file transfer agent by Google is not 64-bit. What? There is a an old Canon driver that is not 64-bit. There is. I'm, I'm just kind of scrolling through some stuff here that I've got that I've got here. Whenever um, you say old, then I'm not that surprised. But Google's own. I just thought Google would be on top of this. Yeah, you'd think, but they haven't done anything about it. And, and I don't have a lot, but I've got a couple of Steam games installed that are not 64-bit, that are still 32-bit, and those will stop functioning in Catalina. Right, well, I think we should just abandon talking and go check this out right now. Well, here uh, you go, the Cisco WebEx Meeting Center. 32-bit. Oh, no. So I'm, there, there's a lot of stuff that hasn't made it yet. I'm honestly surprised because it's a long time since I've had one of those pop-ups saying this needs to be updated, see a developer or whatever. I mean, it's months since I've seen anything like that. And people have had a, I knew it was coming. You'd think a developer would. but oh, then... Well, I think they know it's coming, but I, I think that there are sometimes architectural challenges. Oh, I see. Okay. I, I think that some of the workarounds that people have used are, are complex to port over to 64-bit code. And I, I think that's what, the, what a lot of people are running into at this point. Right. I wonder if so, this will light a fire then, or will they abandon? Is Apple doomed? No, Apple's uh, Apple. I did the math not that long ago. Apple could take its over two hundred billion in cash and pay all its people, and not sell a single thing and still run for five years. <laughs> so I, I mean, I'm pretty sure that doomed is not on the table. But as far as Apple Arcade goes, the the games in Apple Arcade that I'm seeing right now will appeal to some, but when you think stereotypical gamer, and I hesitate to use that term, because if you play us if you play a smartphone game, if you play you're a gamer, William, because you play Sudoku on your phone. And your Mahjong phone. as well. Come on. And Mahjong as well. Yeah. But if you think stereotypical gamer, you know, spends four hours a day playing games or, or whatnot, I'm not sure how many of these titles are going to appeal to them. The a lot of the games in Apple Arcade are I'm gonna I'm gonna call them art house games, and there's absolutely a place for that. But what they are not is they are not Overwatch and they are not Call of Duty, whatever, and they and they're they're not titles like that. So while Apple Arcade will do well, it is not a substitute for Steam. It is not a substitute for the Steam marketplace. So it won't have Lemmings. Um, I suspect there'll be a Lemmings-like game on it sooner or later, but that really depends on Apple and who they get on board. It's the only game I ever got addicted to on the Mac. Um, back in the old PowerBook days, I remember spending a week on a level and then just seeing the same level on a colour screen and the answer was really obvious. And that was it. I was done with games for it. Well, I mean, I, I, and I can understand that. Different structure, different folks. But the thing is, you're not done with games. All right. I be, I'm exaggerating that, yeah, this, you're getting this out of me, the Sudoku and Mahjong. And full disclosure, there's chess occasionally. All right. Yeah. You got me. But still games. So. Anyway, uh, given the state of all these things going on, there are things going on at Apple Insider, aren't there? In fact, Apple Insider is recruiting. And we are. you're the one doing the recruiting. Uh, I'm not saying this because Victor's away this week. <laughs> um, who, what should people do if they're interested? Who are you looking for and what should those people do? Well, we're looking for the right candidate. We are we are not looking for somebody who can retype press releases. We we are set in that regard. What we're looking for somebody is 
who will take this press release and say, oh, that's interesting. Let me call them. Let me let me find out what the story behind this is. We are looking at we are looking for people who will delve into stuff, who know people that they can call, who are who are interested in what we're doing and why. It, it, this is I'm I'm not even going to use it. It's not just a job as an adventure because it's not an adventure at all. Really, we you know we have home offices. We, we do what we have to do. It's but that whole part about doing more before nine o'clock than most people all day, that works yeah. true. I do uh, like so that. Yes. if you're interested in the job and you and you think you can fit the bill, we do have a post that is outlining what we're looking for. And we're gonna have William put it in the show notes and do apply. We're gonna start looking at candidates very, very soon. Uh, I'm not expecting anyone to come on before the iPhone event. We're certainly not gonna have gone through all of the applications at this point, but we read them all. We read everybody's writing samples. We read everybody's links that they provide for us to take a look at. So if you if you think you got it, then let me know. Send send me an email through the link provided. Great. And if that is you and you end up working for Avatar, I look forward to working with you. And whether it is you or not, uh, I'll see you next week. Where Victor is back. We might have some iPhones to talk about. I'm not sure. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for uh, listening. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty sure we're gonna have iPhones to talk about. If you are interested in my particular brand of opining, you can find me typically every week over at spacejavelin.com on Monday mornings. Okay, and um, I will be glued to watching the way I'm just living for Tim Cook to come out and say good morning again the way he does. We should have a Apple event drinking game, shouldn't we? This is oh. probably going off the topic, Mikey. We'd, we'd all be dead six minutes in. We'd... Call the ambulances, it'd be over. Challenge accepted. Good talking to you. Thanks everybody for listening. Goodbye. Have a good week, everybody. <laughs>